I'm Peter Medlin, education reporter at WNIJ, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If this is your first time here in the show, it's a simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who help shape who we are, and we want to hear all about the educators who inspired you and the educators in your community who deserve a spotlight. Every teacher we have on this show, whether, again, teacher, coach, professor, counselor, is all nominated by the folks who listen to the show. So be a part of our show and tell us about the person who comes to your mind. Email us with your nominations at teacherslounge@niu.edu. And this month, we're also doing a little bit of fundraising for the show. So if you like what you hear and you want to make sure we keep bringing you these conversations and stories from all across education, please donate just whatever you can over at wnij.org. Today on the show, we have Sam Watt. He teaches physics and earth science at Marengo Community High School. We talked about Sam's time teaching in China, what STEM actually is, since that's actually a misconception he still runs into quite a bit, and how he's been able to do hands-on STEM and engineering projects even when his students learn remotely. Can I imagine the Apollo 13 when the, oh, right, yeah. they, they messed back like, we had to fit it around, build in a square hole, or vice versa, and they just dump out a box of stuff, and this is randomized, like tubes and duct tape, and they had to figure Pencils out Pencils and, yeah. Same thing. I have these items. What labs and experiments can I do with these items? That's all they have. So we get pretty creative. It, longtime WNIJ listeners may even remember Sam as a frequent host of The Sound of Science, so we will get into all of that and even more in this episode. Yeah, last week in our news roundup, we talked a little bit about schools that were forced to move back online because of COVID outbreaks. Well, we did get the chance to chat with even more folks from the district we highlighted last time just to get an even more clear picture of how it felt for students and teachers there. Before they left for Christmas break, George Alfaro needed to remind his third grade class. I said, hey. There might be a chance that we might not come back in person. I just wanted to let them know. So if that happens, let's go over our expectations for what's required when we, come, when we do remote learning. The West Chicago Elementary School District wanted all of their students to refresh their memories on remote learning just in case of an emergency weather event or COVID. They practiced how to log in to their remote learning platform and where to find their assignments. The possibility of returning remote became reality when more than 120 staff members tested positive after the holidays. Superintendent Christina Davis made the call and moved classes online for the first week after break. I think the initial reaction and response I heard from parents and from principals was just the concern from students about, is this going to continue? Is this going to be like last year? Alfaro says although he did field a few calls from panicked parents who were having trouble getting their kids' Chromebook to work, the quick pivot to remote actually went pretty smoothly. They came in, all their microphones, they were ready to go. His students haven't had a non-pandemic school year since kindergarten. He says as a teacher these days, it almost feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. So seeing his students learn so well after moving online on the fly almost drove their teacher to tears. They're doing research on uh, weather phenomena. So I'm watching them do something called Go Guardian. You could tell what they're doing. And I was like, ah, if I wasn't a big tough guy, I'd, be, I'd cry right now. But I didn't. Because they were all there. Just, they were doing their thing. I could see them, like, looking things up, reading, and then typing. Alfaro teaches at Pioneer Elementary in West Chicago, and his principal is Lisette Jacobson. She spent the last week 
trying to make school operations as normal as they could be. She ran around handing out laptop chargers to folks who forgot them before break, and she made sure individualized education plan meetings happened remotely for students with special needs and held grade-level meetings with her staff. Between those IEP meetings and social-emotional learning classes that her students take, she feels like they've done their best to prioritize the kids' mental health. But Jacobson says it's been as difficult to look after their own mental health. And I'll be honest, I've struggled with finding healthy coping. I like to eat lots of bread. This week, West Chicago returned to in-person learning, but the challenges are still there. Jacobson says teacher shortages persist. We do have like some flexibility in terms of staff being able to work remotely if they have to quarantine, as well as students being able to log in in the building, just having our paraprofessionals or lunch supervisors or other people monitoring the classroom while the teacher teaches from home. The Illinois State Board of Education just adopted CDC guidelines in an effort to limit the length of quarantines. Staff and students who test positive for COVID should now isolate for five days instead of 10 days, beginning with when their symptoms started, and if they don't have any symptoms at all, it should start on the day they test positive. Superintendent Davis says that will help, and they've also been offering weekly testing for students, but even that isn't without its difficulties. Our challenge with that is that our labs that we've been working with, I think we're on our third lab, we've had to make these changes because they've had difficulty staffing. The West Chicago Elementary School District was the only Northern Illinois school to move fully remote for the whole week. But last week, 5,409 schools across the country were disrupted due to COVID, and that's the largest number in any week of this school year by far. And as the Omicron surge continues, schools can't conjure new staff out of thin air if cases pile up. And so every school needs to be ready if they need to go remote again. Okay, now it is time for my conversation with STEM educator and rock crusher. You'll hear what I mean. Anyway, without any further ado, it's Sam Watt on Teacher's Lounge. People might have heard you on The Sound of Science on WNIJ. You did like a bunch of episodes of that, right? Yeah, actually, I started it. Um, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. A couple years ago, station manager Stacy came up to my boss and said, we have, we have a two-minute slot. What do you want to do with it? boss says, Sam, we had a two-minute slot. What do you want to do with it? <laughs> and so we brainstormed and came up with, uh, we wanted to do a, a two-minute, just a deeper look into science, but only in two minutes. And um, call it landed on Sound of Science as, a, as just kind of a pun. And we envisioned it as just the science of sound. And we tapped that well pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so we we diversion to just sound the, the idea of the radio is the sound and we're doing science to the radio yeah i mean you had tons of episodes did you have a, a favorite that you could think back on now absolutely actually my favorite one is about coffee uh, because i'm a giant uh coffee drinker like most teachers are i think yes and definitely, yeah. i was surprised to learn a lot about coffee in that episode uh, some of it i already knew and some of it i learned more about by doing it in fact, those those radio um, projects that we did, I learned so much from it. When I rejoined the classroom, I actually had have my students do something similar as kind of a capstone project where they do their own research, they do their own writing, they actually record it. Um, and some of the best ones are actually on par with what Steam produces today. 
Um, That's fantastic. They have a lot of fun with it. They're, I learned a lot of cool things. They learn a lot of cool things um, because you're you're investigating what you actually want to learn. They actually investigate science and um, the good ones. They delve beyond the Wikipedia level. You know, there's the Wikipedia. Anyone can read a Wikipedia article. It's those who delve deeper and make connections that really stand out. Yeah, definitely. The first question I wanted to ask you, Sam, I'm excited about because it's completely out of left field, and I'm willing to bet that no one has ever asked you this. I, I, this is Peter Mudlin, investigative journalist in here. I found some old videos that you did with NIU that are about you being a life hacker. You like doing life hacks? Yes. Do you remember this? They're, okay. they're hilarious. <laughs> they're very good. I, th- people should definitely seek them out if, if, if you can because there was one of them that you had where you were doing life hacks – and you like, you know, one of the gags is that you had like created this half saw, half fork thing. And there was one of them where you were wearing a giant like paper resume as a T-shirt. Can you tell me the jobs that you had listed for yourself on that fake resume? Because I thought they were very funny. Oh, no. I can, if I were to look it up real quick, I can find it. I can tell you. Um, no, I got, I got it for you. I got it written down. Oh, okay. You had your jobs not only as like aside from just like educator like you had that one on there sure 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 but you also had pillow tester and this is the one that really stops me was rock crusher which by the way it said that you had crushed rocks from 2012 to 2013 and had successfully crushed about 92 percent of said <laughs> rocks i know uh my coworker jerry benson still with niu steam uh, I'm sure he had in some way, some hand in that. I'm sure it was some off-topic random conversation that divulged and we, we landed on a rock crusher. I'm sure it was something stupid like that. I was really hoping that there was like some like, oh, you know, my family, we used to go to a rock quarry. <laughs> I was like, it's either that or it's something just completely, you know, we just made it up on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, that one, we... um we wrote it pretty quickly, uh, and Kate Powers, who's no longer with Steam, but um, she was leading the Husky Hack Hackathon. Um, she wrote some of the script, and then just kind of tossed it our way to figure out the hacks and just figure out some hacks. Um, the had- bagel cream, the bagel toothpaste one. Yeah. Uh, first of all, that's a lot of food coloring in that cream cheese. People actually asked me if that was real toothpaste. Thankfully, I was gonna. I was gonna say it probably wasn't, but like I would commend you if it were. Yeah, it was a lot of uh, food coloring, and um, I learned later that night that food coloring does not get processed very well by the body, um, and so I was like, "This was a mistake. <laughs> this is a huge mistake. <laughs> this is this is almost as bad as it being toothpaste." Correct. <laughs> right. You know, along with with your time at NIU, I know that you were uh, participated a lot and helped a lot with STEM Fest. And I'm really curious because I wanted to ask you a few things about it because, again, in this cursory research I, I saw, there was a picture of you posing with, like, some 3D printed chain mail and stuff like that at STEM Fest. But for people that just have no idea what it's about, can you tell people a little bit about what STEM Fest is and, and how you got involved? All right. Get ready for some sound bites, Peter. Please. Because... Oh, this is what we're here for. Oh, my gosh. All right. <laughs> um, so I transferred to NIU in 2010. And I moved from engineering in Missouri. It wasn't quite a good fit. Um, I wanted to become a teacher. I also really wanted to pursue science. It turns out that NIU has one of the best science secondary education programs in the nation. Like, it's a really big deal. 
Um, and it's kind of fell in my lap. I said, physics, education, sounds great. It didn't hurt that it was like five hours from my parents. So they really couldn't drive up easily, but I could drive down to see them when I wanted to. It's the perfect length where you're like close enough in case of emergency, but far away where no one would reasonably come out on a random day. Correct. So it was 2010 and I uh, made an inroads with grad students in physics and professors and my colleagues, my peers, and my roommate, uh, my flatmate, um, is in her back of her mind trying to set me up with a senior in physics for whatever reason she has in her mind for it doesn't matter. It's a Saturday and I'm dragged out of bed, literally dragged out of bed by my roommate and says, you are going to volunteer at STEM Fest. And this was like 5 a.m., no? This was early. This was, this was yeah. about 5.30 or so, yeah. Um, dragged out of bed, said, you want to volunteer at STEM Fest? You have to. And I said, I guess, I guess that's what I'm doing today is using my Saturday as a college sophomore when I could be doing many other things I will volunteer this thing called STEM Fest. Whatever it is, I guess I'm going there. Sounds sciencey, I'm in. And meet these random people, some some lady named Patty, some guy named Jeremy, and they stick me in with what they call the haunted physics lab, whatever this place is. And they say, This is your station. Um, we appreciate your time volunteering. Here's a t-shirt and here's some cool stuff. Thanks for volunteering you are going to engage kids and families and talk to them about uh, phosphorescence and fluorescence with this black light and these, you know, we have highlighter fluid and tang and you know, glow in dark stars and scorpion. You were one of the people haunting this physics lab. Correct, right. Um, and I, I had a blast. They asked me if I wanted to leave after lunch and I said, oh, this is, this is great. I love this and stuck with it. Um, and it turns out I ended up haunting STEM Fest for like a decade, um, forever. <laughs> Some say your ghost is still there, yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and it turns out that, you know, Patty was the boss and Jeremy was the number two. Uh, and months later, they're like, hey, we really liked you. Somehow, I somehow, I guess, made enough of uh, enough lies strung together to impress them. And they said, do you want to work summer camp? Sure. Sounds great. I got nothing else in the summer. I'll work summer camp. It was a STEM camp. It was a camp for middle schoolers and high schoolers all about STEM. Um, and I loved it. And years later, I was hired by NIU STEAM. And right in front of me, first thing I had to do was run STEM Fest. Um, I, ran, I ran two of them. That's fantastic. And, but this story does not end with you falling in love with that senior that you were supposed to be set up with originally. <laughs> no, that, that, was, no. that was dead in the water. From the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, it, in fact, you found love within the STEM Fest itself. You know, st the real love was all the friends you made along the way. <laughs> Do you want a more adorable soundbite? So, if you've got one. If you've oh, got one. I got some. In 2014, Patty, same boss as before, calls me up my first year on the job teaching. And she says, Sam, how's it going? Do you like your job? And I'm like, oh, Patty, I love my job. It's definitely what I want to do. I'm, I'm, I'm in my element. I found my people. I, I love what I do. She's like, oh, okay. Uh, hold on. That didn't sound very like you're like very happy for me. That sounded very like you're disappointed. She's like, mm. well, I, I kind of hoped that you weren't having a good time and that I could convince you to work for me again. And I was like, 
Oh, this is a different, different conversation than I expected. <laughs> Entice me, Patty. Entice away. She says, well, I, I know you like adventure. I know you like to do new things. I know you like to go places and, and experience the world. Would you be interested in teaching in China? And uh, I was flabbergasted. Take it back. How, that's, a, that's a big jump from how are you to... You want to, would you like to go to China? Which is how I normally start my conversations. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, how are you? Want to work in China? Um, and I, I, I eventually agreed. And my second year there, I had employees under me. I visited their schools. And I visited uh, elementary school. And I met my now wife. Um, See, it, it all comes back to love, though, truly, STEM. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I uh, brought her back with me, and, and we've been married since. That's outstanding. Well, let's just let's talk about your experience in Beijing while we're on the topic then. How long were you there? Uh, one short year or one very long year? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, how, how, tell me about, you know, like, I know that you mentioned all the different things that you could go into about just, you know, cultural curiosities, educations, the differences, the things that stood out to you over the course of your long or short year there? Yeah. Um, I, it, it was a huge culture shock. Well, first of all, uh, I landed um, that morning and later after breakfast and a shower, I was told, okay, now you're going to meet the parents. <laughs> I hadn't even unpacked yet. Like I just dropped my suitcases in the hallway. I didn't know what time it was. Yeah. Yeah. I just walked in and I started like talking and they started translating and uh, that was that. And that kind of set the tone for the entire two years of now you're going to do this, make it happen. And it was two years of making it happen. Um, and it happened. No, I'm actually really proud of everything that went down there. Um, it was a middle school academy, Beijing Academy, uh, Beijing Zhongshua. And apparently it's a pretty big name there. Didn't know, I didn't know any better. I just knew it was a middle school, but they're more advanced kids. It was meant to be a experimental school where the school district, um, which is not how we United see it. it it's, this is like 2000 schools, uh, wanted to try something new. They were pulling in experts from around the world trying out new things. They had uh, more foreign teachers in my school than other schools. And they just wanted to see what could they make work in their culture? What are we doing here in the United States that they could, they could uh, mirror or modify or improve upon? And so two years, I had grade seven and grade eight students in a, at about 90 minutes a week with them to do interactive projects, hands-on projects projects to really pull them away from just book learning and introduce them with their hands. That was the goal. Hmm. And th did you find that the, in terms of just like the way that education happens, you know, the methods, the practice, was it more similar to America than you expected or was it even more different than you had expected going in? I had no expectations. I yeah. had no idea what to expect. It was such a, a roller coaster and whirlwind. Uh, but to to paraphrase what I have had talked to a friend about uh, my first few months there, it's very, as he puts it, sage on the stage. There's someone in front. They know what they're talking about. 
going to talk at you. You're going to take notes. In a few minutes, you're going to regurgitate that back to me. And that's that. And not saying that doesn't happen in the United States, but I feel like educators as a whole don't like doing that. Uh, but that's the standard practice in China. They were flabbergasted that I was, I was doing projects that didn't have an answer. Uh, we gave them experiments where they came to their own conclusions and there were more than one answer, right answer. They were flabbergasted that the engineering projects that we were doing didn't have to work. I was grading them on their creativity and use of other skills and did they make progress and did they, uh, you know, make certain benchmarks. They said, well, that kid didn't finish the, the challenge. It didn't work. And I said, yeah, but he worked way harder than 9% of the other kids. This kid deserves an A. That one does not. It was, it's totally different. And, and they kind of brought you there kind of for that experience, it sounds like, to bring in you know, international perspectives. I'm sure that being back in the classroom now yourself, it has to have had some kind of impact. Can you trace certain things that you took from that experience that you're able to use now? Yeah, yeah. Um, every time, it's, 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 it's different here. Yeah. It's different uh, now uh, with uh, remote learning, hybrid learning, pandemic learning, uh, all that fun yeah, we'll, stuff. We'll, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get more into that, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It, but coming back, it was, uh, how can I incorporate these these ideas that I was pushing before and make sure I don't slip back into a into any bad habits? Um, mm. Am I doing an engineering challenge that doesn't have the right answer, a full answer? Um, am I doing a lab where they are coming to a conclusion that I might not have thought of? Are they combining technology and math and science and engineering into one thing that's relevant relevant to the topic and is age appropriate? I had to really consciously keep that in mind because of what I had to do for two years. And um, it, it definitely is, it's a struggle. It's, it's a challenge to do that, but I think it benefits the students here. Did you come back like a year or two before the pandemic or like, I'm sure it feels with the pandemic, I'm sure it feels like even longer ago that you were away, right? I did two years in China. I did three years working for NIU. And then mm -hmm. my second interview, no, my first interview with Marengo Community High School, where I'm at right now, the first interview was the day that Governor Pritzker announced the shutdown. Oh, jeez. You know, I, it, it's funny. I was, I was our conversation about STEM Fest, actually, and when you were talking about the, the haunted physics lab that you were working in, it actually reminded me of two weeks before, you know, the shutdown and, and everything like that, the very beginning of the pandemic, I went to one of those escape rooms. Have you ever been to one of those? Oh, yeah. I, I, it's the only time I've ever done it. It was for a friend's birthday party. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. But the setting that they chose for us for our escape room was like pandemic doctor's office, like yeah. science lab. And the more that I think back, I'm like, oh, my God, what an apocalyptic scenario <laughs> that they ended up choosing for us. But that was the first thing that I thought of when I thought of haunted physics lab was this, like, gross post-apocalyptic, like, zombie lab that we had to do this experiment in two weeks before an actual pandemic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So, I mean, like, I, yeah, again, we will talk a lot more about pandemic learning and what that looks like for you, especially, again, doing something that is inherently hands-on <laughs> so but before we get off the beijing story do you want is there any other I, you already give us a phenomenal one about meeting your future wife there but are there any other 
anecdotes that you like to look back on? Any other favorite ones that you want to share? Absolutely. Um, so put yourselves in my shoes. Um, one year under the belt of teaching. Um, so I was, when I went to Beijing, I was 20, what, 23, 24, um, and told, okay, figure it out. You have, you have no time to design a whole curriculum, learn a new language, teach whole new culture. And by the way, in a few months, you're going to present at an international conference about the results. Um, it was trial by fire, uh, <laughs> for sure. And as a 20, what, 23, 24 year old, um, that's incredibly overwhelming, but it also taught me a whole lot about how to run my own classroom, how to, uh, you know, plan really far in advance, uh, not through a teacher perspective, but like a management perspective. And I, I gained the skills to like uh, communicate in another language. I didn't speak the language, but- I was gonna say, did you have like a translator? I, my students actually knew English pretty well. Sometimes they correct okay. yeah. I was gonna say, cause doing hands-on physics and engineering with a trans, like that extra step of having a translator, that feels it's insanely difficult. Yeah, well, we, we definitely did a lot of, every time we introduced a new uh, few key terms, we'd have that translated. Um, right. And then we would visualize it and they would do some kind of small activity to understand those concepts. Um, mm -hmm. But conversing wise, even if they picked up 50%, they, they blew me out of the water with how much they knew. Okay. So we, we, again, we, we talked about pandemic learning, but I, I am curious, what has it been like since your entire time now at Marengo has been during the course of the pandemic? To some degree, I have benefited from starting at the school with the pandemic because I mm. didn't have any expectations beforehand. I went into it fighting the pandemic. It's just your only frame of reference. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so I went into it during the summer, getting my mind in order and then first week of school, knowing the challenges ahead. And so I had ample time to kind of realign myself that way. We are a small community, which has a lot of benefits. And one of those is that we can say, parents come pick up these materials. Uh, and there was one day where we actually sent buses around and we dropped off like bags and boxes of materials. And I did everything I could to come up with a list of things that students needed that they couldn't get easily. Um, you know, masses and springs and uh, certain types of cord, um, magnifying glasses, things like that. And I was like, what can I, I had to give as many activities as I can with these like 10 items because they can't come in and get more. They have to have these. What can I do with these? Um, kind of imagine the Apollo 13 when the, Oh, right. Yeah. They, they messaged back like, we had to fit a round filter in a square hole or vice versa. And they just dump out a box of stuff. And this is random items like tubes and duct tape. And they had to figure Pencils out Pencils and yeah. Same thing. I have these items. What labs and experiments can I do with these items? That's all they have. Um, so we had to get pretty creative. It, I was going to say, in some ways, I feel like while it's obviously completely restrictive in some ways, in others, I'm sure that allows you to 
really kind of unlock a certain level of creativity that you wouldn't have considered beforehand? On my end, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking like, what kind of springs do we have? And I was like, well, I gave them the binary clip to hold their papers together. So they have a binary clip. That's pretty spring-like. We have springs. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and we, we do engineering projects too. For my earth science class, we were doing earthquakes and the challenge was uh, here's a hundred uh, popsicle sticks and some white glue. Um, here's the machine I have in the office. You are going to build a tower with X, Y, and Z um, constraints. Using your uh, earthquake knowledge you've already learned, build me an earthquake resistant tower. And you have one week somehow bring it to the building, get it to me, and we'll test it on camera. And they did. Yeah, it, it worked out well. I, I hope they learned something and they didn't just build it for frenzies. Hopefully they actually applied their knowledge, but I have no idea. Are there any silver linings that you've been able to pick out from this experience of being an educator during the pandemic? I mean, to be frank, uh, as far as labs and projects go, there's nothing quite like having it in the lab here. Yeah, yeah, fair. But uh, silver lining in other ways, um, we, we are, we've been one-to-one -one before I started. They, the kids have their Chromebooks. They know how to use them um, for the most part. And coming in, I didn't have any resources, so I built everything from the ground up. So having in mind that I can build all my curricula and all my lessons, all my activities to be virtual and online, that even if they're here in person like they are this year, for those who are out quarantined or isolated or on vacation or whatever, they have those resources already built and that I don't have to worry about zigzagging between a hard copy and a digital copy. And then going forward, whatever happens, um, uh, we already have those resources cataloged and organized with links and already downloaded and uh, integrated. It, it's it's uh, from the ground up, but it's a good foundation. Right. And yeah, in some ways, I always think about that. It's really kind of a blessing that not that it's a, the pandemic is a blessing in any way, but we are somewhat fortunate, I think, in education that it happened now as opposed to five to ten years ago let alone even before then because i even think about you know i was in high school about a decade ago and the level of like schools being one-to-one -one, like i went to a school i think that was you know a small school like a little smaller than what you, you guys are at in marengo and it's like people were not one-to-one -one. at this point we were still lugging around those those giant laptops that you could kill people with and like, these huge crates and like we didn't have 3D printers, there was very little technology that was available to us for things like STEM. And so at least to have access to that technology is somewhat fortunate because I feel like it wasn't something that really existed for a lot of public schools like more than five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I look back at my, my first teaching job in Bloomington High School and I remember having <laughs> Windows 95 computers on carts. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, the, the Windows 95 cart laptops were around until like 2015 somehow. <laughs> right. Um, they ran a program that we couldn't get on the school school network or, for, or something like that. And now they have municipal internet. They have um, city-run uh, internet services. And um, I'm almost positive their students are one-to-one. 
and it's the gains they've made in just the past five years. Yeah, and the wonders that that does, especially I'm sure for STEM, when you could show people like, you know, going back to you wearing the 3D printed chain mail to be able to have that like in your high school or something like that. Like who knows what that would have done for me if I was, you know, in eighth grade or ninth grade and saw that. That was just something that I didn't even know that public schools had back then. Yeah, exactly. I've heard you say stuff about how, you know, part of your job is talking through different misconceptions that people might have about STEM going into it. What are some of the misconceptions that maybe you still confront these days with students or with other people about what STEM is about? Yeah, uh, so the first one I, I address uh, as much as I can is that STEM is not just science with some fun flash to it. You can't just take what you've done and smack a extra TEM to it and call it STEM. Um, it's, it's an integrated idea. And I've been doing STEM activities, STEM projects for, I don't know, like 10 years now, yeah. uh, a bit longer than that. And I still, not everything I do is STEM. Um, right. So it's, it's STEM is not a science or technology or engineering or math. Right. It's, it's all of it combined together. It's integrated uh, and melded. Um, so some projects are engineering projects in and of themselves, but all of those projects can be turned into a STEM project with some uh, scientific research and laboratory experiments and utilization of technology and graphing and math computational knowledge. The NGSS, the Next Generation Science Standards, they yeah. build all that into it. There's science and engineering practices. There's these cross-cutting concepts, which incorporates all these ideas, experiments, and the um, asking questions, designing experiments, things like that. So it's already built into the NGSS, but a lot of teachers, uh, science teachers, don't actually acknowledge that you have to do all of it at once for it to be STEM. Right. Interesting that the misconception still is, what is STEM? <laughs> Right. Another misconception out and about is that it's like an us versus them, like a STEM versus art kind of idea. And mm. so there's this idea like unifying it with STEAM. And you yeah. can have STEM and STEAM be different things. And they are not opposed. They're just two different subjects, essentially. Um, you can have math and science. You can have history and English. You can have STEM and STEAM. They're not against each other. There is different perspectives. Um, there are STEM projects that don't incorporate the arts. There are arts projects that don't incorporate STEM. Um, and just because you include some pretty, pretty colors and pretty, pretty pictures doesn't make it STEAM either. Um, right. Yeah, STEAM isn't just STEM with like a really nice wig on or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, it, you have to incorporate them in a meaningful way. That's really interesting. I wanted to bring up the, that you know, obviously this is an education show where a lot of the folks that we have on are are nominated to be on. I often find out that with with educators that you guys have often had those people in your life that at some point during your education you had some teacher, some educator, coach, whatever that helped you figure out that you wanted to go into education in the first place? I think that you mentioned that when you were in college, this was already something that you wanted to pursue, but did you have someone like that at any point in your journey that not only, you know, maybe just teaching or STEM specifically that made you want to get involved with these things? 
Yeah, I'm going to call out three people by name. So listen up. Do it. All right. Uh, so the first two um, are actually my high school teachers, uh, Mr. Scott Schlapkel and Mr. Andrew Spainauer. And uh, one has retired, one has moved on from teaching. And, but their, their personality and the way they taught and the way they presented physics it made me really excited for physics. I loved physics in high school. When they gave the opportunity to do a two-hour physics two class, they're like, but the downside is you can't have lunch. You can eat lunch in the hallway during passing period, but it's going to be back-to-back -back straight through lunch. And I was like, yes, more physics is better for me. <laughs> do it. The most nerdy thing possible. I'll eat lunch in the hallway if it means more physics. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I loved it. And uh, what that led me to do is, is want to go into engineering. And I had some engineering classes too in high school and I really enjoyed those. Uh, but I didn't under, quite fully understand what engineering incorporated. And so when I started taking mm. engineering classes, I was a little bit um, put off by by some of the background of, of engineering a lot of the oh, what do you mean in business side of it oh okay the, there's some i'll be frank there's some professors that turned me off from it just by their personality um hmm. you know that's unfortunate so i did some soul searching and i really thought about it and up up until this point i had worked for uh boy scout camps uh throughout my summers and I had worked with Cub Scouts since I was like 13 years old. So I kind of harken back, what do I like teaching, working with kids and physics? So what can I do? Well, <laughs> I might just teach physics. So they, they were always kind of at the back of your mind, but once you added physics to it, it all kind of just aligned together at that point? Yep, and I just needed that push away from engineering with my experiences in Missouri and push me into you know, high school physics education. That's fantastic. Well, those are the three people that you mentioned. Let's call them out again. That was two, two people. So that was two. Scott Schlopkel and Andrew Spainauer. And then the third person I mentioned as my boss from NIU STEAM was Patty Sievert. Uh, she was the one who hired me for uh, summer camp and then brought me back over and over again. And she's the one who called me and sent me to China. So those <laughs> are the three that, that really have guided me in my career for sure. Yeah, there's not a lot of people that you could say, oh, she's the one that called me and sent me to China. Yeah. I blame her. All right. Well, one of my last questions for you is something that I like to end a lot of my interviews on, which is, is there something about STEM that you wish more people talked about when they talked about it still? Something that you think is more important than people might realize who aren't in it and thinking about it and practicing it every day? Absolutely. STEM, it's a way of thinking. It's not a body of knowledge. It's a process of thinking. Um, are you conceptualizing four subjects as one cohesive idea? But also, that does not mean it has to be graduate level science and, and doctorate level math and even, even college level anything. The workforce really needs knowledgeable, skilled hands. And so if you I do think that a lot of people probably still think of STEM as calculus and physics and things that are beyond my depth, right? Absolutely. If I, I really wish that some of my students here who are in vocational studies, CTE classes, I really wish that they also had that perception and understood that 
they're going to need <laughs> to use technology in their, whatever field they're going to go into, there's technology involved. They're going to need to think like an engineer with measurements and, and putting pieces together. They're going to have to think in math terms on the business side and in the actual working side. They're going to need to know the science of the materials they're working with and how they interact with their work environment. They're going to need these STEM skills no matter what they get into. It's not just for the college-bound nerds like me. It's for anyone who wants to be a critical member of society in the future. It's not just for people that skipped lunch for physics. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then same question, but for teaching, is there something about teaching, especially teaching right now during a pandemic, that you wish more people talked about when they talked about it? I think, especially with the past two years, how they've been, the pandemic has really put a spotlight on students' mental health, uh, what they're going through, isolation, loneliness, lack of communication. Um, and I don't want to take away that away from students. That's not a conversation, I'm not trying to pull that conversation away from them and, and you know, pity is, is on us. But um, I've been thinking a lot about mental health with my colleagues and myself, and my family. Um, and I, I realized that that's actually not new. Uh, teachers have been feeling the pressures of what everyone else is feeling right now for a long time. There's a lot. Yeah, I think this is something that people forget. We talk about the teacher shortage now, but I'll even speak as an education reporter that's been covered this. This is something that has been an issue beyond the pandemic for several, several years before any of this. This is something we were talking about. Absolutely. The amount of workload, how do you balance how do you teach kids, but also how do you assess them, but also how do you make new things that are exciting, but also how do you uh, find time to eat and run to the bathroom, and also you want to leave and like maybe have a life a little bit. Um, that's like the baseline, but then also I personally, last year was really worried about a lot of my students um, and how they're doing academically and socially. Um, but again, people have had those concerns since the beginning. Awesome, man. Well, hey, Thanks so much again. I appreciate it and appreciate the work that you're doing in education right now through this wild, wild time, man. Yeah, man, I had a great time. Thank you so much. Um, do you want me to do a little, like the 10 second, like who I am, whatever? I mean, like you don't have to, but if, if you got it, yeah, sure, why if, not? If yeah, that'll it. help. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. My name is Sam Watt and I teach physics and earth science at Moreno Community High School. And then we'll do, a, we'll, we'll, there'll be an applause break right there. There'll be, a, we'll insert that in there. Oh my God, maybe some whistles, it'd be great. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on this show. It's how we get amazing guests like Sam. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing the podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, share, whatever you can do. It really does help. Also, please subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter if you want to keep up to date on everything having to do with the show. You can find a link to do that on this podcast webpage, again, over at WNIJ.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kindos, which is the music you hear throughout every episode of this show. Thanks to Spencer Trent for helping us make our Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Bendlin, and we'll be back with even more Teacher's Lounge and our top education issues of 2022. We will see you later.